Paul? Yes. Just to kind of preface your trip here to Texas next month? Yes. 107 yesterday. Oh, balls. I think we've had, this is our 15th straight day of 100 plus temperatures. We've had, I think, 30 days over 100 so far this year. And, you know, not even through the month of July yet. And the hot month, this is what cracks me up, the hot month is always August. <laughs> so apparently I'll be on fire next month. <laughs> oh, good. So the month I'm going to be there. Exactly. Did anybody get the Spider Island preview? There was a Spider Island preview? Yeah, they, my uh, shop. they gave out what a free Spider Island preview at my oh, shop. Oh, you know what? I would not expect my shop to have such a thing. I think I got that last week. Oh, maybe. Uh, let me check. Cause I, I seem to recall some kind of little insert thing. I mean, we don't need to chat about it. I'm just asking. I, I think I got something, but I haven't seen. I I'd have to go back through my through my uh, stack. Whatever. Don't whatever me. Do not whatever me. I just whatever you. No one got Captain whatever. America. Huh? Captain nope. America negative. But you know what I did get? Red Skull Incarnate. Oh, yeah. I saw you re- talking about that. Holy shit. <laughs> Good or, like, holy shit, traumatizing? It, traumatizing. I mean, <laughs> that is an ugly damn book. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you would expect it to be. It's the, you know, it's the, uh, you know, origin story or new origin story of the Red Skull, you know, who's, you know, the meanest bastard in the in the Marvel Universe. But, God. <laughs> I mean, you just kind of want to open a vein at the end of the book, and it's just first of five. (laughs) And he's not even really bad yet. (laughs) This is his childhood days? Yeah, it really is. It's his childhood days. Nice. It's Lil Red Skull. Yeah, Lil Red Skull. Lil Red (laughs) Skull. Yeah. Episode title. Books with Aaron, Polly, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. This is Wayne. I'm Andrew. And I think that's everybody today. Okay. And we are on fire. Fire. Today. Fire. <laughs> and not just because it was 107 yesterday here in Dallas, so. Fire. Jesus that I, with it, I'm sure. I thought it was bad here, but wow. 107. How do you survive that? Well, you know, but the the good news is is that while it was 107, the temperature humidity index had us at like sub supernova temperatures. So, you know, and that's good news. <laughs> but it's a dry heat. <laughs> yeah. It was so bad here earlier in the week that I mowed the yard at like nine at night after it was already dark. I'm sure I'm that guy in the neighborhood that they everyone hates. Yeah, you need headlights on your lawnmower. <laughs> uh, if I only had headlights, that'd be great. <laughs> well, you know, people are bitching around here because folks are getting up at 6 a.m. to mow their yards. And I'm like, dude. It if you so- don't, you have a heat stroke. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, we took a – we had one of our dogs over for her checkup yesterday at the vet. And, I mean, he's talking to us about, you know, don't let your dogs outside. 
you know, for, for just any time longer than for them to go to the bathroom, your dogs need to be back inside after that, you know, because they're having, uh, animals are just having heat stroke left, right and center. Wow. It's just awful. It's just awful. So, but Hey, this isn't the weather cast. This is funny books. And so we're going to talk about comic books. If there was a comic book that was talking about the weather, we'd talk about that. We're not just going to sit here and talk about the weather. So well, ins- I mean, it is kind of apropos if you talk about like the weather wizard. You have to bring the weather wizard into the go. conversation, though. There you well, go. Sure. Or, we- yeah. or the weatherman. Well, we have to explain why you're not back out on your porch reading your comics right now. Well, you know, I was out there last night, and geez, Lou, even <laughs> at like even like midnight, I was like, I'll just wait and go out there at midnight. It was still ninety some degrees out there. Yeah, see, I've, I've heard all your stories about it. It has me excited now that I'm in the new house. I've got a gazebo out back with oh, a ceiling nice. fan, uh-huh. so I can go out there in a chair and read comics with a ceiling fan on me. Awesome. I, I might just try that. You should do that. You should do that. Well, you know, I like reading in the pool, but, you know, you can't, really can't take your comic book in the pool. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, I'll take a paper back out to the pool, but a comic book, I'm just not going to do that. Do you take your iPad out well, there? Well, it depends on the comic. I do not. <laughs> The comic book stays inside, but it's safe and dry. <laughs> I was about to say, he, he worry, he's, he'll, he's worried about a two ninety nine comic book. You think he's going to bring a $500 piece of equipment into the pool? <laughs> well, I was wondering what was actually capable of separating him from his iPad, and apparently it's a swimming pool. But, you know, you know, Galactus can sit out there with me on the, uh, you know, out on the floaty, so. You, know, Galactus, <laughs> you have him out on the floaty with yeah, you? Yeah, Galactus and I kick, kick it about. Hey, Galactus <laughs> joins him on conference calls for work. It can join him out of the <laughs> This is true. Best, best bromance ever, Aaron and Galactus. <laughs> I was on a conference call with work the other day and you know, senior leadership and whatnot on the phone. And I'm working from home thinking that the line was muted. And I'm, so, I'm, of course, I'm playing with Galactus. <laughs> And, you know, I hit his little voice activation. And he goes, I am the devourer of worlds. And I heard this, what was that? <laughs> yeah. I just was very quiet. Hope that nobody realized that was me. <laughs> oh. So I, I, I am experiencing a dilemma. And I was hoping to get some feedback from you guys. Now, I, I feel very strong for that. <laughs> How old is she? <laughs> on her next birthday <laughs> no Aaron, uh, sir w- women don't have pimples on their ass wear a condom <laughs> yes sir um <laughs> so uh um i am trying to streamline my collection you know i've been i've been collecting for a, a long long time and you know, there are some books that that I don't really want to retain. You know, because I'm really trying to just keep stuff that's either you know very sentimental to me or something that you can't pick up and trade. You know, that kind of thing, just so I can kind of limit the the, the enormity of my uh, comics archive. And so what I've been thinking about is, you know, what I really want to do is the, the books that I want to release. You know, back into the wild are are books that I'd really just kind of like to have. You know, digitally. But I don't necessarily need the tactile feel of, um, you know, having them in my long box and whatnot. So these are books I own. These are books I paid for. Is it ethically appropriate to go to Pirate Bay and get a digital copy of a book I paid for? You mean that's not available? Correct. It's not currently available for me to get elsewhere. 
you know, I've struggled with that question too, because especially during the course of uh, moving, you know, my comics were in various states of under other boxes, and as I, I couldn't get to the things I was really wanting to read, had no idea which box they were in. And, you know, and I was kind of struggling with that. Is that I own this book? Is it okay for me to go, you know, Ill- illegally download this? Yeah. Because I own it. Well, you know, and I, I was I was having a conversation with Paul earlier this week, and I was thinking about there's a lot of this stuff that's just not available out there, or not available in the format that I want to read it in. Like for instance, a lot of what I want is available in the uh, uh, Marvel digital subscription, but that's not available for iPad, and that's how I read my digital comics. So, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I guess I could just scan in what I've got. And I don't have a moral problem with that. You know, I figure, no, I own it. I can scan it. I can do whatever the hell I want to do with it. But if somebody else has already done the work, I mean, because I can't, um, I would think that scanning that comic is a pain in the ass. You know, not ever having done it, I can only imagine it's just kind of a pain in the ass. You know, and here's something. It kind of goes into, I know a good number of people. Every DVD they buy, they they Burn make a, a digital copy. copy. Yeah, yeah. They, well, they, they don't. They make a digital copy. You know, they they rip the the movie file. That way, they have a you know a digital backup of the movie file that they can bring on their iPads or whatever or their laptops. Right. Uh, um. You know, they do it with every D- DVD they buy. And I, you know, I mean, I know that in theory, not in theory. I mean, I guess in law, it is actually illegal to do that. Right. But, I mean, it is their copy. It's just like if I owned a VHS copy or if I was watching something on TV and I recorded it onto a DVD. Yeah. I mean, technically, as long as I don't sell it or give it out, I mean, I think that's ethically okay. I mean, they, they created and actually, Paul, that's that. – copy making a digital copy of your disc, that's not necessarily illegal. That for, for personal use, if you're not putting it up anywhere and not selling it, that does fall under fair use. You have – you have the right to make a backup copy of any media that you purchase. That yeah. that's completely covered under fair use. That's not illegal. So if you say you go buy your copy of uh, Star Trek 2009, right? Okay. And you know you so you own a DVD of that movie, and you want a digital backup of that movie, you could rip it. What's the difference between going out to Pirate Bay and downloading that same movie that you've already purchased? Well, just saving you the, the trouble of having to rip it. I mean, and I'm no expert in the law, but the main difference is that you're instead of just using it out of your own personal material, you're now engaging in downloading it where there's now you know a trail of what you're doing, and also you're assisting someone else who's distributing something they may or may not own. Mm-hmm. I mean that, that's where the that's where it's no longer fair use is when you take a copy of something you own and then distribute it to you know masses of masses sure. of people. Sure, but, but my, also, my question, depending how you got it, if you're getting it through a torrent and you're not turning off uploads, then you're redistributing it as well, and they'll get you there. Well, but I, mean, I, I have a friend who was actually nailed because he downloaded a ton of stuff, and they didn't come after him for any of that until he downloaded uh, it was uh, Far Cry the movie. Horrible movie. He hated the movie and is, you know, very annoyed that that's what they got him for. But yeah, he paid over a thousand dollar fine because they hammered him for it. Right. But but what I'm saying is, is you own the movie, right? And so you're downloading a copy of a movie you own. And sure, you know the the guy who's distributing it may not own it, 
But if it's the exact same content, just in a different format, I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I, I don't, I don't, people, as long as you're not sharing it downstream, as long as you're not giving it to somebody else, I'm just asking, I, I'm not, I'm not arguing one way or the other. I'm just trying to understand, uh, and less in a, in a, in a legal issue, but more in an ethical issue. Um, I mean, ethically, I think you're okay. I mean, I ethically, legally, you've already given the money over to those creators, and right. you know there is no other way for you to give that money back. You know, if they had released it digitally, you know, then you could use it. But you know, I mean, ethically, you have paid you know for that product. Um, you have you now the correction the 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 stipulation is you have not paid for it in that digital format, and the rights you know the the uh, well not the rights but um. The royalties uh-huh. are different for those formats. However, if it's not available in that format for them to get those royalties, uh, I'm not necessarily, you know, sure that uh, that you are being ethically wrong by doing it. I think you're okay from an ethical point of view. I think legally is uh might be a little bit less steady ground, but I think sure. ethically you are you're you're pretty solid. So you know, you I, t- I didn't t- think it may not be the wisest idea to go on a podcast and tell everyone that you're thinking about downloading a bunch of stuff either. But hey, <laughs> well, you know, I, I wonder. That's more of a common this. sense problem, Wayne. <laughs> well, you know, I think about it because, like, the Defiant books, you know, from uh, Defiant Comics are not available uh, in collected versions. They are not available digitally. You know, uh, I own them in print. And so, you know, I think, well, I'll, maybe I'll just scan those things. Well, but you know, why scan them if somebody else has already done the work? Actually, I'm just something I'm, I'm, I'm you know, tossing around in my head because I am ardently op- opposed to pirating. I, I, I am, I am strongly opposed. If you haven't bought that book, you ought not to be, you know, out there downloading an illegal copy of it. I mean, I just, that is that I have very strong feelings about that. That you are taking food out of the mouths of the of the folks who created that content. Let me see if I can boil your dilemma down. Uh huh. Because I think I've heard enough now that I think I've got. I have heard enough. You, you don't. You, you're kind of lazy. and You don't want to go through the trouble of doing it yourself, <laughs> but you feel a little bit bad about going out to somewhere like Pirate Bay and downloading it. So you're exactly. trying to rationalize it in your own brain <laughs> because you don't want to do the work. Essentially, yes, I am extraordinarily lazy. So this is laziness. Well, I mean, just in this one area. I mean, uh-huh. I know you do other stuff, but it's laziness versus uh, guilt. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm. So who do you think is going to win? Oh, lazy every time. <laughs> <laughs> every time. <laughs> anyway, that's just kind of what I'm, what I'm kicking around, and you guys have been absolutely no help. But hey, I got to <laughs> tell you, you know, I had my butt in the seat yesterday for the movie. Um the movie. Winnie the Pooh? No, not Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> How's Christopher st- Robin? That would be stupid, Andrew. You know John Cleese narrates. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, he, I think Aaron was actually going for Winnie the Pooh, but then he heard there was going to be a Batman teaser before, uh, oh, before yeah. Harry Potter. So he switched theaters just for the Batman teaser. Oh, no, oh, I'm yeah. talking about Woody Allen's latest film, Midnight in Paris. And there was, was no Batman teaser good. before that. Huh. <laughs> Midnight in Paris is a fun movie. I hated it. I, you hated I was, Midnight in Paris? I was as bored as I could be. It was oh. an awful movie. Sorry to hear that. Why the it, fuck did you see it? Pardon? Why did you see it? Well, one of my friends went and loved it. 
And so my wife and I went last night and you know, I generally like Woody Allen movies, but it was Owen Wilson doing his Woody Allen impression for an hour and a half. And, uh, I, I found it to be, uh, quite oppressive. Oh, so you're serious. You went to go see the midnight in Paris yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just assumed you went to go see Harry Potter. No, why would I go see that? Because <laughs> like eighty percent of the country did. I thought eighty percent of the country went to go see Midnight in Paris. No, huh. I guess I got, we got our wires crossed. Harry Potter broke the record for midnight showings as well. Yeah, so did Midnight in Paris because it had midnight in the title. Midnight showing of Midnight in Paris. I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. <laughs> so, what'd you guys think of Harry Potter? Well, so we were talking about midnight showings. Did anybody else go to a midnight showing? Negative. No. no, I went to the midnight showing. My wife is a Harry Potter fanatic, so we she's went to the Potterhead. Mid- she's yeah, she's a Potterhead. <laughs> um, so we went to the midnight showing of Harry Potter at the the, the Cinebistro. Um, and just to catch everybody up, the Cinebistro is the local theater um, that is twenty one and up only after eight p.m. Now, since the movie was at twelve oh one which is technically the next day, oh. I was wondering if they were going to loosen up on their policy. Oh, um, yeah. As it turns out, no. No, what? they weren't. And uh, because I saw two sets of families oh. that were turned away at the door, um, very upset families who were turned away at the door because of the the, the, the 21 and up policy. And, you know, I, 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 you know, at the same time, I felt bad because it's like, okay, you know, it's a half hour before the movie. You can't go down to the local AMC because they're either sold out or fucking insane at this point. And of, of you know, half hour before the movie, yeah. Because it's Cinebistro, it's reserved seating. Yeah. So you can show up half hour, twenty minutes, fifty minutes before the movie, and not worry about trying to get good seats. You've already reserved them. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, but those families, you know, ha- who got turned away, you know, it, the kids are all dressed up in Harry Potter gear. Oh man. You know, and it's like. Okay, so they either go to AMC or they let their kids go to sleep yeah. without having seen Harry Potter that night. Uh, that you know, that was a miserable night going home for them. Yeah, so because you're you absolutely know, right, there's no way they were going to get into another to another show. No, not good seats anyway. You know, yeah. so I felt you know I felt bad about that, but at the same time, I you know I kind of wondered, you know, that's kind of the reason I came here. Yeah, right. Like and I, I think awful for those families, but at the same time, that is the reason I came here, and their policy is all over the place. They they don't hide that policy. Right. You know, maybe and they could have them, done a little bit more of a warning for the, for this movie, but yeah, yeah I'm sure the the parents probably just thought that it's a you know it's a movie based on kids' books. Surely they won't say no kids for this. And for people for them to try to leverage that argument, like oh, it's twelve oh one, it's not you know it's a new day and everything. That's that's kind of using the details to kind of uh, betray the the intent behind the rules, which is you can go to a movie in the evening with no freaking kids around. Right. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, 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 like I said, I felt bad because, it, you know, they're kids. And I knew if I if I was that age and I was in my Harry Potter outfit and I got turned away at the door you <laughs> know, and I went to sleep without I know that would be like something I would remember for years. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Traumatizing. Uh, You'd be in therapy after that. All that being said, it was a very, very enjoyable movie going experience. And it was very adult. I mean, there the the um, Cinebistro went all out. All their waiters were in costumes. Uh, they had a specific menu just for the for the movie, including alcoholic butter beer. Nice. Uh, and uh, I don't I don't know if you guys had it. I'm I, I'm sure it was everywhere. But if you saw it in 3D, the 3D glasses were shaped like Harry Potter glasses. Oh, nice. 
Wow. No, we avoided the 3D. Yeah, I saw it in 2D as well. But I mean, it was. I saw was Midnight like, in Paris in 2D. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you didn't. See, you, didn't, you didn't see the special 3D Midnight in Paris. I, but I did see it in IMAX. So you know. <laughs> you did not. <laughs> so what did you guys think of Harry Potter? The movie itself. I, it sounds like you had a good theater-going experience, Paul, but what did you think well, of the movie? Uh, I, what I'm curious about, Andrew, is he said he had a good adult movie-going experience, so you got to see the cut with Hermione's full frontal scene, right? Yeah, that, that was uh, only at Cinebistro. That's <laughs> Cinebistro exclusive. <laughs> they actually paid Emma Watson to wa- wander in live in Flash, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but now she's got that boy haircut, so it really wasn't the same. But, um... <laughs> No, so the movie – all right, so my wife comes out, and you know she cried, and she loved it, and blah, blah, blah. And so we're walking out, and she looks at me, and she's like, what do you think of it? I'm like, I don't want to take away from your enjoyment of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. Because I got to be – I got to admit, I like Harry Potter. I, I, I love the Harry Potter movies, but I have the same problem with every movie. I walk out of it. And I say, okay, well, why did that happen? Or who was that? Or, you know, what happened in that scene that, you know, they never explained? And there's a lot of that in the finale, which I'm not going to ruin, you know, spoilers for everyone who hasn't read the book or fucking read a news article. Uh, You know, I think I know every moment you're talking about because there was someone behind me in the aisle, you know, right behind me, that every time one of those moments happened, they, they felt the need to say that out loud. Why did he do that? Why did he do this? Well, God. and there are characters who die. There are people who die in the movie, and it's all done very in the background. Un- you know, it's all treated as very unimportant, at least in my opinion. Um, you know, there's a character who dies, and I'm like, okay, which one died? Because yeah. they don't actually tell you. And my wife is like, well, it's explained more in the book, or it's more emotional in the book. And you know, it's like all I have to say is, if your movie can't stand on its own without me having previous knowledge from the book, then it's not a good movie. You know. See, I didn't feel like I missed anything by having not read the books, but just like all of the others, the drive home was essentially my wife telling me every way that it's changed from the book and my telling her, I don't care. I don't want to read the book. I have no interest in reading the book. I don't care how it's different from the book because I'll never read the book. So, Aaron, are you going to be upset if I spoil something? No, uh, on Harry Potter? Yes. Good God, no. Okay. So spoilers on, and if you've read the book, you know this already. There's a scene, you know, where where th- there are these characters who are twins, and one of them dies, and it's all in the background, and they never say which twin it is. And 30 seconds later, everyone's over it, and I'm like, okay, which twin is dead now? Because they're fucking twins, and they don't refer to either of them by name for the rest of the movie. And so I was like, okay, you know, it's like you couldn't have said, oh, I'm sorry that Fred is dead or George is dead or whoever the fuck is dead, you know? It, it was all done, you know, just the, all the death scenes were just so breezed through. Um, uh, that I, in the like, movie, I, they're interchangeable anyway. doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, but that's not the point, you know? I mean, it. I, I, I don't like the fact that, you know, they they seem to just assume that you're going to get it. And, you know, as an audience member, you know, I don't mind subtlety, but I do mind leaving gaping holes in story and plot just because you know everyone in the world has read the fucking book. Except me. 
And, and Wayne. <laughs> and Aaron. And Andrew? But, but not it. No, Andrew's read them. Ah. So, so Andrew, Wayne, what do you think? Okay. Uh, you know, I, I acknowledge your issues with it. Uh, I, I see them. I agree with them. I kind of ignore them because I have read the book. So, obviously, not really an issue. But, but yeah, it definitely, as a standalone product, the this most recent movie definitely has a lot of holes and depending on which Potter movie you watch that kind of goes up and down as to how bad they rely on prior knowledge like the first couple of movies you need to know nothing about the books and they're great movies as things have gone on they definitely kind of lean because those last couple of books are huge books I mean they had to split the the seventh book into two movies uh so I understand but I loved it it was it was great I did it get a little annoyed at the prevalence of people with wands in the theater yeah. last night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it we was like a nine o'clock show. And I swear to God, every third person had a wand or a lightning bolt scar drawn were, on their forehead. Were you jealous? No, Are you sure? not at all. It yes. sounds a little like jealousy to me. No, I'm pretty sure you're incorrect, sir. <laughs> I was actually surprised. I didn't see any of that at all. Oh, when I, there, was, I see it, there wasn't a single one that I noticed. I didn't see a single person with the scar this time. I mean, and I've taken her to opening night. Well, I guess this wasn't opening night because I did a midnight showing. But I've taken her opening day to every one of these movies. And this is the first time I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen the full costumes. I didn't see full costumes either. But, but you know, the, the theater is packed. Uh, the movie is good. I'm, you know, it's the last movie. If nothing else, you're like, it's over. It's done with. You know, put a cap on it. And this movie's going to make a crazy amount of money. We actually had that conversation on the way home. It's like, you know, after every one of these movies, I have to hear the entire way home how it's different from the book that I'll never read and don't <laughs> care about. And she's like, well, it's the last movie. You don't have to worry about that anymore. I'm like, that's right. But they'll make a movie about some other book you like, and I'll have to hear it. I am <laughs> amazed at the balls on Wayne. I really am, because he's, he's sitting there... We're describing his wife as carping, <laughs> complaining <laughs> about this, and how he doesn't want to hear it. She must not listen to the podcast. Clearly, no, she doesn't, doesn't listen, listen to the podcast. the podcast. But at my all. wife's spies are everywhere, so you know, <laughs> I keep those kind of comments inside. <laughs> that's true. That's that's a pro tip right there. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm just relating the conversation we actually had in the car on the way home. I'm just saying that your balls have got to be as big <laughs> as Dalmatians. I mean, they are just gigantic, gigantic balls. That's all I'm saying, Wayne. Wayne, at Gen Con this year, you won't have to walk. You can just roll along on your giant balls. <laughs> Except he's not going to Gen Con this year. Oh, not you're not? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't uh, know who we're going to get to talk awkward. about their feet hurting at Gen Con. Yeah, he's going to do the Gen Con journals. <laughs> I can do my family reunion journals. There you go. <laughs> walking oh. around family reunion. My and feet my feet hurt. So <laughs> <laughs> it's really late at night. Everyone else is already asleep. <laughs> so I'm whispering. Awesome. It's right about noon. I don't want everyone to know I'm recording even though I'm in the middle of a hall. <laughs> I like it. I, I, I we will release that. Wayne's <laughs> <laughs> well, family reunion yeah. journals. <laughs> Did you guys see the uh, the Dark Knight Rises trailer with your Harry Potter? Oh yeah, they did not have that on Midnight in Paris. Well, that's, that's so a shame. Odd. But you know what they also didn't have with your Midnight in Paris? What's that? 
So the Dark Knight Rises trailer comes up, and you start hearing the voiceover of the characters. And all of a sudden, it cuts off, lights pop on, and the manager of Cinebistro walks in, saying, Hey, uh, just so you know, Virginia ABC law says we have to get all alcoholic beverages off of the table by 2 o'clock. So we're going to roll around and pick up all those butterbeer glasses around 2 a.m., just so you know. And then they cut the trailer back on. I'm like, you interrupted the fucking <laughs> Batman trailer. Oh, boy, I, I think I would I think I would have come unglued. I was like right in the middle of the Batman trailer. And, you know, then they cut the trailer back on and then they cut the lights off. And, you know, I missed half the trailer. And, you know, wow. nowadays you can watch all that shit online. But still. There wasn't much of the trailer to miss either. Because it, it really is just an early teaser trailer. There's not much to it at all. Yeah, about the first first half of the footage is actually from previous movies. And, uh, you know, like Batman Begins, where they have the little monastery up there on the hill. and But then they do have a little bit. You see Bane for just a second. Uh, yeah, you see, Bane, face. you see Bane's back as he's walking. And you see the new, you see Batman's costume. I mean, it's all very brief. It is 100% a teaser. Yeah, yeah, but, it is. Um, it still, still got me excited. Yeah, but I, actually what I was really excited about, and I don't know if you guys saw it. Um, there were two teasers. Uh well, one trailer, one teaser. Um, trailer for The Thing, the upcoming prequel to The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, and um, John Carter of Mars. Did you guys see John Carter of Mars with yours? No, neither it. of those were before mine. Right. Oh, man. John Carter of Mars looks awesome, if you're a fan of that. Kind Who's of. in it? Um, Taylor Kish, I guess some guy from Friday Night Lights. Okay. But, I, you know, I've, I've heard about it, but I've not, uh, I've not seen any of the... the previews or production stills or anything but i'm awfully excited about uh john carter oh yeah it's like i think it's the first live action production from pixar or something Uh like that so i mean you know it's got some talent behind it i'm excited so i mean it was like i said an enjoyable movie going experience save for the um you know cutting off in the middle of the fucking dark knight rises trailer the one trailer (laughs) i wanted to see that is not available online yet except for bootlegs what we had was the uh, the new trailer for the Sherlock Holmes movie. Yep, Not, saw that Game of Shadows. Yep. How's that look? Actually, surprisingly good. Yeah. I, I didn't see the last Sherlock Holmes. My wife didn't really oh. enjoy it. But this one looked good. Like, there's no crazy magic or mystical stuff going on. It's just a Sherlock Holmes story. And there wasn't in the first one either, despite what the trailer would give you the impression of. The, um, the stuff in the first one was, you know, they were using... The, the veneer of magic and mysticism to hide your you know their their evil evil things that they were doing so but there were there was no actual magic okay so i heard i heard otherwise i heard they go through this whole thing saying there's no magic no magic no magic and then you get to the end and oh it was magic that is not my recollection at all yes that is incorrect just so you know <laughs> so andrew <laughs> did you enjoy the uh robert downey jr sherlock holmes yeah you mean the the one the fir- before this one correct yeah the i mean it's kind it's a little steampunky, but I like the take they do on Holmes. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of a Robert Downey Jr. fan, so. Uh, and Jude Law plays a fantastic, long-suffering Watson. Um, so no, I I did it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Game of Shadows. I think it's in either November or December. And Paul, it's Christmas. Um, I enjoyed the Robert Downey Jr. Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes very much. So, um, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan, and you know sometimes you just have to distance yourself. You know, I mean. Yeah. It's it's not true Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, it, if, you, if you go in expecting Basil Rathbone, 
you are right. not going to enjoy that film. <laughs> he doesn't wear a hat once. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's quite enjoyable, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it, it's an. Enjo- I thought it was an enjoyable film for what it was. Um, you know, it's it. But I would say, I gotta be honest, the BBC Sherlock Holmes movies that they did last year, I enjoyed a hell of a lot more. Oh, really? Um, the Sherlock Holmes tale. I thought those were fantastic, fantastic. Uh, those think- are done by. Uh, the guy did doc, who does Doctor Who now, I think. Yeah, and I think I've got those in my Netflix queue right now. But I haven't. Oh yeah, watched fantastic, yeah. fantastic stuff. Yeah, I you know I I wait. I did not see the the Sherlock Holmes uh, Robert Downey Jr. film in the theaters because you know I'm I kind of felt like I, I was I was a uh, Sherlock Holmes purist, you yeah. know, and it just didn't look like something that I was probably going to enjoy. But when I saw it on cable. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. You have to you have to accept the movie for what it is. But it it, it there were some elements to it that reminded me a lot of Young Sherlock Holmes, uh, which is a movie that I deeply love. Oh yeah, I uh, love that movie. God, that movie's so good. I just I've never understood why it didn't do better at the box office. But uh, you know, just love Young Sherlock Holmes. Also streams on Netflix. So go 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 grab that right now. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the to the sequel, and I'll actually see it in the theaters. Well, I mean, I, I highly, highly recommend you check out. If, I mean, if you have time, uh, the, the Sherlock series on the BBC. It's available on Netflix streaming. Um, I mean, because there's not, I don't find that there's much in the way of television that I'm enjoying nowadays. But I know there were some new shows that started recently that you guys have been starting to watch. Yeah, um, I, Wayne, I think you started watching Alphas on Sci-Fi, haven't you? Yep, we have to record. We uh, we recorded the pilot and just watched it last night and. Uh, the pilot is bad. <laughs> what's the What's the premise of the show? Um, basically, kind of like an X Men premise. People, you know, throughout the world, they have abilities. Except in this case, if there's an ability, there's always a downside to the ability. Like someone has super strength, but the super strength is tied to the fight or flight instinct. So when they uh, when they trigger their strength, they've got maybe five minutes worth of the adrenaline pumping through them, and their heart starts getting overwhelmed, and they have to. They have to back off the powers, otherwise it physically is hurting them. There's a lot of interesting concepts to it. I see some t- real potential for the show if they can fix it between the pilot and the actual show. There were huge pacing issues. My wife got bored watching it at times. There's some acting issues. There's some some just generally bad ideas. But the potential is there. And, I mean, I've seen a lot of shows get good after you know a bad pilot. So I'm not discounting the show at all because I, I see some interesting potential, particularly though this group of uh, X-Men kind of are working. They work for a, a company where they go in and they solve crimes that seem to have some sort of a, you know, a supernatural or a, uh, a powered aspect to it. Mm-hmm. So the first the pilot, for example, there was someone who was sitting in an interrogating room and mysteriously got shot through the head with a bullet. Closed room, bullet through the head, you know. So they have to come in and figure out how did this happen? Why did, you know, how did the bullet get into the room? Track down the people responsible and then fight them. So yeah, I th- I think there's some real potential there. It just has to recover from a lackluster, poor pilot. Sure. Well, are any of you guys watching uh, Falling Skies over on TNT? You know, I'm no. I'm excited about it, but no, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, I've heard very really good things about it, but I haven't seen a single episode. I haven't finished watching the pilot yet because the pilot was like two hours long. 
And so I think I'm maybe through the first hour of it. It's very promising. I, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg's involved with it, has a lot of the same production values as, say, uh, Taken did. So, you know, it looks really big budget. Has a pretty decent cast. Has Noah Wiley in it as the main character. And the, the uh, gist of the show is that it's in the aftermath of an alien invasion. Uh, earthlings or humans are, are trying to, you know, survive in roaming bands, you know, because the aliens have them all on the run. Um, and the weird thing is, is that the aliens don't seem interested at all in adults, but they keep kidnapping our children. And so Noah Wiley plays a father who is the uh, father of three sons, and one of his sons has been abducted by the aliens. And so while he has some leadership responsibilities in this band of, of uh, fleeing humans, he's also torn because he wants to go back and rescue his son. Uh, it looks pretty good. Like I said, I'm only the first hour into it, but it, it looks pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, about this show. I, I don't want us to move on yet because um, I wanted everyone to note that Aaron – Originally referred to humans as Earthlings. <laughs> he said, you know, the Earthlings are doing, I mean, the humans, the humans, you, people. you know, humans like me and you. And, yeah. I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. Now you must be destroyed, Paul. <laughs> it, was a, it was an Invader Zim moment there for you, Aaron. Funny books with Aaron and other humans. <laughs> Aaron and the Earthlings. <laughs> that sounds like a band. I was thinking TV show. I, I was thinking band too. <laughs> Alf. Uh, Alf. Good stuff. Yeah, I, that, now I'm going to imagine Aaron like Alf recording. Aaron life form. Great. Um, now I'm picturing Aaron chasing cats around the house trying to catch them. Delicious cats. <laughs> so anyway, comics. Yes, comics. Hey. You know, can I just say how amazing Dan Slott is again? No, no, he doesn't. He, right. You know what? We're, we're not allowed to uh, to say amazing things about Dan Slott anymore on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying this. Uh, you know, Amazing Spider-Man 665. You kind of break away from the, the storylines that have been running through. You know, they're getting ready for Spider Island infested. You know, they just kind of finished up the Anti Venom story, and they just had this kind of one and done. Uh, the main feature was just this one and done story that was just just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, unlike you guys, I've only thought Spider-Man's been okay all this time. I'm not a huge fan of this run, but it's been good. This issue was incredible. This is the best issue of Spider-Man I've read in a long time. Huh. Yeah, and it kind of shows the history of, of Peter Parker and Betty Brant up to the present day, and then, then bad things happen. Huh. Well, first, let's try one of these. Spoiler! What, what? Betty Brant's in it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no that was a precursor to future spoilers. That's right. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, that's good. Um, so the story revolves around the relationship of uh, Peter Parker and Betty Brant and how they, you know, have a standing date uh, every month where they go out and they see movies or, you know, they stay in and watch movies, whatever it is. They get together, they spend quality buddy time with each other. It's movie night. It's movie night. And uh, and then off, off panel they have sex after the movie. Well, you know because they're friends with benefits. No, that's the great thing about them is that they're it's it's a strictly you know uh, uh, platonic mental relationship. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you, sure. platonic. Thank you. That's the okay. word. They don't they don't have sex, but she gives him a handy, right? 
I, I don't want to speculate. On the movie. <laughs> Is this a vivid production? I'm not sure. So anyway, they've got this standing movie date, but since he's been working over at, for the uh, you know big lab company, and since he's been working on the FF and on two Avengers teams, he's had to cancel a lot of these uh, you know standing dates. So this story kind of shows how that unravels. And I have to say, I was very concerned, you know, when she goes off to go see this movie that she wants to see with him uh, all by herself in the rotten part of town. She's pulled into an alley and abused and assaulted. Oh, yeah. When I saw that panel, it's like, well, they they obviously are going to go with sexual assault here. Well, and I have to say, I, I... I, I've got a real – I enjoy my comics. I enjoy my, my dark and my grim and gritty comics. But, you know, just like on uh, on you know, if they kill a dog in a book, I'm done. If they, if they rape somebody in a book, I'm done. You know, it's just not something that I want to read in my comics. And so I was very concerned that I was going to have to give up my Amazing Spider-Man. And fortunately, that didn't occur. I still have some issues with uh, what happens in the book. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say that she was not sexually assaulted. Yeah, they make that very clear. Yeah, they say she wasn't sexually assaulted. They say there's no yeah. sign of sexual assault. He's basically saying it's a mugging, nothing else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll let you continue, Aaron. No, no, no. I'm, I'm that, you go, Paul. So I had – what's funny is it happened in Little Chechnya. Where is there a Little Chechnya? But anyway. New York City. Well, apparently. <laughs> so I had some issues with this book. I know everyone's loving on this book. I know everyone's loving on this book. You know, but they set up that Peter and Betty have this ongoing thing, and they've been doing it for years, and it's important to both of them, and blah, blah, blah. Now, keep in mind, Spider-Man's been Spider-Man for years, so it's not like this is the first time in his life he's been busy. He always makes time Monday nights or whatever it was for movie night. Once a month. Right. But this month, he's busy, not even doing Spider-Man stuff, doing work stuff. And my problem with it is that he's a total dick to her. I, I had a problem with that scene. Yeah. It wasn't a, hey, I'm sorry. I'm really, you know, I imagine Peter Parker going, I'm really sorry. I'm in the middle of something. I'm sorry. You know, like, like he is when he's Spider-Man. When he's Spider-Man, he's like, I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of something. Of course, one of his excuses is that he's playing skee-ball. But, you know, I, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, you know, but in this, he's like, you know, fuck you. You told me to do a job. Now I got a job. Now you're being a bitch. Fuck you. That's essentially you know, what he's saying. I, and I, I thought get that was that, out of though. character. I don't think it is at all. I mean, if you look at what ha- what happened here, he has to miss sometimes because he's Spider-Man anyway. He's missing more often now because he's not just Spider-Man. He's Spider-Man on like, you know, 20 different teams here. But in this case, he's actually doing work. And I can see that. I could see over the course of their time together, she probably has been telling him, you should get out and you should, you know, you should be making something of yourself. So for once, he's there doing work instead of Spider-Man things. And I can see that reaction from him. I see the regret when something bad happens about it. I don't think it's out of character at all because he's finally doing he's finally having to miss for a reason that's not Spider-Man. He's finally able to tell her the truth about why he's not there. And she says, you know, something along the lines of, uh, you know, of what she does about how, you know, he's, you know, he's never there. I see that reaction. 
It's kind of the, wow, I can never win. I'm not even skipping for Spider-Man. I'm actually telling the truth for a change. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a dick move, and he realizes that later. But I don't think that's out of character. I think most of us have been in a position where, you know, he's obviously gotten his ass kicked recently from the black eye. He's tired. He's stressed out. You know, he's under one of the things with the Horizon Lab job is that he every quarter he's got to have the new next big thing or he's going to lose his job. And so he's got stress from that. That machine he's working on looks very impressive, I got to tell you. Uh, so, I mean, I think we've all been there where we've been preoccupied and we've said something without really thinking about it, And we've been addicted to someone who's a friend or loved one without yeah. really re- meaning to. And, and we regret it later and we apologize. That's clearly what this is to me. I don't think it's out of character at all. It's it's something he's going to regret later. And, you know, when he does it, he's going to regret it. But we've all been there, I think. Well, and, and, and I agree. I, I think it's a very human moment uh, for Peter. What I found startling in this book was the comment that aunt may makes to him, you know, that she tells him that loved that. I mean, yeah, that was fantastic. You know, it's the, you know, uh, her telling him, you know, that he's only disappointed her once before and, you know, he's doing it again. And he's like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's the, the night that uncle Ben died. He didn't stay to comfort her. He ran off to go chase down his killer. But, of course, she doesn't know he's Spider-Man, so she just thinks that he couldn't handle it and left instead yep. of manning up and taking care of his aunt. And she's and, like, you were a boy then, but and I, so I can understand it, but now you're a man. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. I mean, I, that's – and, you know, he can never tell her. He can never – he can he can never tell her. He just – he just is – it's just a burden that Peter Parker gets to carry. And He could tell her. He told her previously, you know, pre and how day. How well did that work out? Well, it was fine till she got shot. <laughs> <laughs> but that was unrelated. Uh, you say that, but you know, the next thing you know, she's going to get shot if he tells her. He might be the one who shoots her because he's pissed off. <laughs> disappointed in me. Blam! There you go. Who's disappointed now? That was such a powerful conversation that they had, though. The, I had never thought about it that way. Because you always think about it from the Spider-Man standpoint. Absolutely. Hearing her side of that night... That was chilling. No, I, I, I'm right there with you, Wayne. I, and it's so obvious. That's what kills me, and that's what, that's what I find so remarkable about Dan Slott's writing on this book. He's thinking about uh, Spider-Man from different angles that once he shows it to you, you're like, how the hell have we missed that over 40 years of this book? You know. But yet it's new and fresh, and it's a brand new angle. Blows my mind that, about how well he's, he's crafting this book. Yeah, and some of the some of the jokes, especially at the beginning before things get serious, like when they're going to the 3D movie and they're talking about seeing Thor in 3D. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I love that in the Marvel universe there's a Thor movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it was a good book. I thought it was a good book. Yeah, oh, I liked how. Up. I was say I liked how they ended it too. The uh, the end with the question mark, uh-huh. and then one more page of story after that. Yeah. And then the page after – I mean it's – one of the things I like about this book is that, you know, and we've said this before about Amazing Spider-Man, is that the backup stories in these books tie in to the main story. You know, oh, so yeah. it's not just some arbitrary backup story. And I really got – I really enjoyed the uh, the story about Aunt May moving at the end of the book. 
Yeah, I'll Never Let You Go is the name of the backup feature, also written by Dan Slott. And uh, yeah, it dovetails uh, perfectly with the main storyline. Yeah, yeah so- I, I liked his tour of the house. It's like, this is the room where I walked in and Doc Ock was drinking tea. Yep. Here's here's where Aunt May pointed a gun at Vulture. And so you go through all these things, the bad things that have happened in the house, and that that's how he sees it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Here's where the hobgoblin was hanging up Aunt May's underwear. <laughs> yeah, folding her delicates. <laughs> what was really interesting about both the backup and the the regular story was how much Mary Jane we had. Yeah. That she was through both stories there acting like she would be if they were married, except you know, they're not together in any way. She's but she's still filling part of that role. She's there as emotional support for him in this issue. She's there making excuses for him early in the issue. And it's it's interesting because we haven't seen her in a while since uh since they brought her back and did that incredible one moment in time story. Well, and I have a question though, really quick, uh about I'll never let you go because I just remembered it. When when they're telling the family when they're to, they're at the dinner and they're telling them about their decision to move to Boston. Carly has something on her fork. Yeah, uh, webbing. Why does she have webbing on her fork? Because it's all leading into that infested Spider Island uh, storyline where everyone's got spider powers. So, ooh, so Carly's gonna have spider powers? Yeah. Just think about how they'll both be able to stick together. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I didn't Spider Island preview. You would know that because it is they show a preview of uh, Carly with her spider powers. Well, my store didn't get the Spider Island preview. Now, I got to say, though, if I'm sitting there at the dinner table and webbing is coming off my hand, you know, and (laughs) I wouldn't be just sitting there with that little smile on my face going, nothing's wrong. I'd be going, "Ah, ah!" (laughs) Or, or conversely, I'd be going, oh, this is so cool. And I'd be like, you know, spider webbing the salt shakers over to me. (laughs) That's why it'd be one or the other. But, you know, there wouldn't be any of this. Oh, nothing's going on. You know, since I hadn't been reading the titles before, uh, before jumping in recently, all this time, I haven't known who, uh, Aunt May's boyfriend is here. I knew he was a Jameson and was somehow going to be related to Jonah. I didn't know it was his father until this backup issue. So that was actually that was a big piece of news for me to finally put that whole picture together because all this time I've been wondering how Aunt May's boyfriend was related to Jonah. Yeah. If it was like a an uncle or a brother or something or no idea until it gets brought up at the dinner table. It just, you know, after having spent so many years reading Spider-Man, it just strikes me as strange to see Peter sitting across the the dinner table from Jonah having a family dinner. <laughs> it's just, it's a little yeah. surreal to me. But I like it. it. No, I do too. It, I do too. It's just, it, it, you know, it, it shows, despite Marvel's best intents, um, it shows some evolution of the character. And, uh, you know, and I, all of. All of J. Jonah's ire is is directed away from Peter. He's not even upset with Peter. Yeah. Doesn't yell at him once. Yeah. Well, so he, that's he would have if he saw that Boston Red Sox hat at the end. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would have been pissed about that. Paul, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to say he's probably not upset with Peter because Peter Parker is dead. This is true. Ultimate Fallout. Uh, Spider-Man No More. Issue 1. You guys and your hippie Ultimate Comics. I got to tell you, um, I read this book this week, and you know, after 
after the death of Spider-Man in the uh, very last issue of Ultimate Spider-Man, um, you know, I, this was the first book I read this week, and it provoked from me an audible sob at one point. I mean, I I, I was emotionally moved by this book. I I, I can't I cannot express enough how well written this book was. Oh, I I think I know exactly which page it was too. It was uh, there's a scene in here where Aunt May is walking into the funeral. Yeah, that's the exact. Scene. And there's a little girl there with a burnt face, and she's like, "Are you Spider-Man's mommy?" She's like, "No, no, I'm his aunt." But you made him breakfast like his mommy, and that's what got me. That was the line. But you made his made him breakfast like his mommy, and I mean, I I mean. I told my wife about it the next day. I was like, you know, I had a I had a, a, a rather, you know, strong emotional reaction to a comic book I read this week. And so I told it to her and I started tearing up <laughs> as I t- as I, you know, told her the story. I mean, it just really got me. Yeah, that whole scene is chilling with all those people that are there because Spider-Man saved their life yeah. all outside of the church and Aunt May's This is her first experience with something like that. Yeah. I mean, She's known for a while now that he was Spider-Man in the Ultimate line, but to see all the people that he's helped to finally get that big picture, that was that was a powerful scene. Well, and to and to get that, you know, number one to see, you know, this this child that Peter saved, you know, and and you, you the marks on her showing that, you know, uh, you know, had she not been pulled out, she would have died. Um, to get that and then to get validation from that child that, you know, I recognize that you're his mother. I just, I, you know, I just thought it was so well written. I thought it was so well drawn. And what's funny is that the first couple of pages of this book, I did not enjoy, you know, cause you got those, the big page there with Gwen where she's like, I'm cursed. And then you've got the big page with the human torch where he just, you know, does his supernova thing. There, so and there were J-, J Jonah Jameson trying to type out something. Yeah. I but, did like though the uh, the Kitty Pride stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the costume for her, and I don't like that she's going to go back to the Ultimate X Men when they reform it after Fallout. Well, you know, the the first few pages of the book just really didn't work for me. But once you got past uh, that J Jonah Jameson page, I dug it. You know, I mean, it just was really is really clicking for me. Um, you know. And I think what they're trying to do is if you look through the characters, they're all in different stages of grief. Yeah, exactly. And Kitty is in the anger stage, and that's why her pages were so cool. Yeah. Well, and you've got Mary Jane in the denial stage and accusing Nick Fury of uh, you know having caused Peter's death. And, I mean, the look on Nick Fury's face is, is just you know fan- fantastic. He's just stunned at the accusation. I just, I thought this book was really very well done. Yeah, I can't wait for the next issue. And I don't I've, really, I, you know, I've not read much about what they're doing with Ultimate Fallout. Um, I don't know what the intent of it is. I mean, other than that, I know that there, there's kind of a a restart coming up on uh, the Ultimate line. But I'm kind of going into this untainted by media. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's coming, and I don't know what to expect in each of these books. In fact, it wasn't until just a little while ago that Paul said this is a weekly book. Yeah, I didn't know it was weekly either. In that case, I will avoid giving you spoilers of what they're doing with the Ultimate line, but it's going to be a essentially a reboot. When this is all said and done, there'll be four ult- four monthly Ultimate titles. And I did see when I was at the comic shop this week, they had some you know little Ultimate Universe postcards showing yep. 
Uh, I grabbed every one of those to get the covers. And boy, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. That that cover with Hawkeye on it just looks amazing. I don't like that they're getting rid of Kitty's new costume and just putting her back in the X-Men, though. Because I like this Kitty. The uh, Oh, yeah, he does. He likes this Kitty. <laughs> the, the hooded version that's, you know, darker. So, Paul, did you read this? I did. And what did you think? Because I, I, I sense that you are not as touched by it as Wayne and I were. Cause I, and I think what that means is that you're dead inside. I agree. Yeah, I, I think I might be dead inside. Actually, I, I think I just might be. Actually, I just, I, 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 I thought it was an okay book. I thought it was just okay. I, I hate. I don't know. It just, it felt too forced, pulling on my heart. You know, trying. It felt like it was trying too hard to pull on my heartstrings. And when I feel that way, usually I just like withdraw because I'm a heartless bastard. Yeah. Um. You know, it's like you, you're reaching for my heartstrings, but I don't have any. So. <laughs> That's right. You don't cry it. There's you don't cry just, about Captain America dying. You don't cry about Spider-Man dying. He didn't cry when Superman died. Ah, oh, Jesus. He cheered when Jason Todd died. Yeah, actually. No, I didn't. Well, who didn't? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have the ability to feel emotions. Well, <laughs> I'm have, not sure about that. Well, you know, see, Paul bagged and boarded his heart. <laughs> Collector's edition. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Never used before. Um, <laughs> Pristine. <laughs> Mint condition. I, I didn't dislike the book. I thought the art was good, and I, you know, the writing wasn't bad. I just, you know, I, I'm not invested in the Ultimate Universe. I'm not invested in the Ultimate version of these characters. So it just it felt a little forced to me. Well, and and I that, wonder if yeah. you might have felt differently had you read Ultimate Death of Spider Man. Maybe because I only read that last issue. Right. You remember how I felt about that? You guys were, you know, crying like little bitches, and I was like, hey, you know, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall the crying like little bitches, but okay, okay. No, no, that, that's how better. I remember it, really, <laughs> very vividly in my head. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, it, it's not a bad book. I just, I don't think I'm going to continue with it. I, you know, I signed out of the Ultimate Universe. I, you know, I, I'm going to stay that way. So, sorry. Fine. I'm, Fine. Ultimate Universe doesn't need you. Well, you know what doesn't need you, Aaron? Green Lantern don't need you. Green Lantern yeah. don't need no Aaron. Fine. Paul, Green I'm Lantern just saying. Don't care. <laughs> Green Lantern don't care. I'm just <laughs> saying, Paul. Aaron jumps off Green Lantern, and suddenly Green Lantern gets awesome. Episode, know, issue right? after issue. I, I think there's a connection there. I'll, I'll, I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. I'm jumping back on after the reboot, so it'll get bad pretty quickly again. Uh, well, I don't know, because, you know, Green Lantern number one uh, with the DC reboot, spoilers on. Spoiler! <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, Green Lantern number one will not be featuring Hal Jordan as DC's Green Lantern anymore. Serious? Nope. Yeah, be there is some... Sinestro, the Green Lantern. Ooh. There is some exciting stuff that happens in uh, Green Lantern 67, the finer ch- final chapter of War of the Green Lanterns. One of which being Sinestro's in, Hal Jordan out. I, I yep. this this is a Green Lantern I can get behind. Literally, um, no. Hal Jordan does not die. However, Hal Jordan does kill a Guardian, and the Guardians are so freaked out at his ability to be able to do that that they have revoked his Green Lantern status. And how and uh, what's his face? Sinestro is now the Green Lantern of uh, Sector twenty eight fourteen. Huh? Yeah, kind of. Think he's done. How in the world do the Guardians trust Sinestro at this point? 
Well, that's that's a good question. So let's the way it kind of works into it is, you know, the, the book starts with this final epic battle. The Green Lantern Corps has been freed from Cronus control. Uh, I guess Parallax's control, really. Uh, they're fighting the the possess- the entity possessed guardians. Each guardian has one of the uh, color entities inside of it, and of course, Krona's there. So it's the big brawl. Uh, the other the other members of the Light Brigade, Sinestro, Nock. Oh, that's not Nock. Uh, the Indigo Tribe Lady, uh, yeah. Carol Ferris. They're all trapped inside the Black Book of uh, uh, the Black Core. Uh, so Kyle Rayner uses some of his art skills and actually draws them out of the book, which I thought I, was a kind of a neat thing. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, actually. Uh, and so once they pop out, you know, all the rings start to come back to them. Uh, all the different colored rings start to go back to them. But Krona does some sort of weird, you know, crazy guardian stuff, and all the rings actually come to him and don't go to the original owners. Uh, and so during the battle, you know, the, the Light Brigade's deep power, they don't have the rings. And uh, at one point, Sinestro picks, picks up a piece of iron rebar and jumps Corona, just smacks him in the back of the head with it. Doesn't work, but shortly after that, you know, with Mogo dead, there's no one controlling where the rings go. And so shortly after that, you know, little ring flies in saying, you know, uh, Sinestro, you've been found to have no fear. You know, welcome to the Green Lantern Corps. And he's, he's back in. Yeah, it's uh, you know, the fact that Mogo's dead, you know, it, I think it opens up possibilities like Sinestro getting the Green Lantern back and or a Green Lantern ring back, and I, I liked that twist. And you know, and so they, him and Hal Jordan. I mean, Sinestro is actually, it's not at the end of the story. He feel he feels like he has changed. You know, you you see this change in his character when Hal Jordan is trying to fight Krona, and Sinestro actually helps him as a Green Lantern. And as Green Lanterns, they take down Krona, but Hal's the one who deals the killing blow. And it's, I mean, it's a killing blow. I mean, he, you know, he blasts a hole right through the middle of Krona. Um, You know, and so, you know, it freaks the Guardians out. They're like, well, (laughs) you're not supposed to be able to kill a Guardian. That's kind of, you know, something that's built into the ring. You know, we built that thing, <laughs> and we made it that way. And, you know, y- 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 apparently you can do that. Um, so, you know, he is revoked. He is standing on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. And Sinestro is like, huh, well, I guess I'm a Green Lantern now. You know, I've never liked Hal, so I like this turn of events. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's extremely interesting. Between uh, between Sinestro in and, and Hal getting kicked out of the core, uh Actually, it makes me interested in Green Lantern number one that's coming out in September. See, I had already read that he was going to be the Green Lantern in uh, For Earth. So I was excited about that to begin with. I just had no idea how it happened. I assumed it was going to be history changing things from Flashpoint. Right. I didn't never imagine it would actually come out of a story like this. Yeah, and, and I was so excited about this book. I actually went back and picked up Green Lantern Core because I was hoping it was supposed to be aftermath of the War of the Ring. And uh, unfortunately... Yeah, it was fine, but it didn't have anything to do with Sinestro or Hal. So, no, I think I think we are not going to. I mean, there is an, a War of the Green Lantern epilogue, but I'd imagine the story itself will not be furthered until Green Lantern One comes out um, in September. Yeah. yeah. But hell of a book, hell of a book, a gorgeous book. Doug Mankey on art. You know, we. You know, it's been a while since we've talked about Doug Mankey's art because of the story beats that have been happening. But gorgeous, gorgeous book, um, you know, all around. So I, I thought it was, you know, War of the Green Lanterns wasn't impressing us when it first started, but it definitely kicked ass in the, the last half. The, yeah, the last three issues or so of War of the Green Lantern were just phenomenal. So I said, do you know what else is phenomenal? Booster yeah. Gold 46. 
Phenomenal, huh? Well, I was really just I was I was looking for the transition, maybe not phenomenal. I was I was reaching to get us there somehow. I'm not saying it was bad. I just, you know, phenomenal's like you know. No, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you on that. <laughs> I retract my statement of phenomenalness. This. <laughs> so I think we all read this one, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what'd you guys think of Booster Gold number forty six, the Flashpoint tie-in featuring Doomsday? It was okay. <laughs> what? You just said it was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it, and I'm so glad to have Dan Jurgens back on this title. I was just gonna say it's you know it's it's a long book long fight scene, which is which is fine. It's a good you know long battle between Booster Gold and Doomsday, but at at the heart of it, it's just a long issue long battle. Which so it's okay, not great. It's okay. What I liked about the book, you know, when issue 45 ended, and you've got Booster and Doomsday facing off at each other. You know, I was like, oh, how in the world are they going to have Booster beat Doomsday? Because, you know, Doomsday beat Superman. Booster is not in Superman's League. How is Booster going to do it? And so I was glad that it made sense within the story how Booster was able to beat Doomsday. Let me just say right now, I think the artwork on Doomsday was amazing. I thought Doomsday looked better here than he's looked in a long, long time. Um, you know, you had a real sense of, of how huge he is, how strong he is, how monstrous he is. I, I, I really thought he was well represented. Um, but you know, it's like Andrew said, it's, it's one long fight scene and, you know, I was hoping for, for more story in this flashpoint tie in, but I enjoyed it. It was good. And I think when you read it in the entirety of the story, uh, the, the length of the fight scene won't bother you when you're reading the other, the other pieces of, of this, uh, of this ongoing storyline. Yeah, and that didn't bother me at all because that's what I expected for this. We've had a lot of heavy story leading into the Doomsday fight. This was the fight issue, and that's what I was expecting. If next issue is a issue-long fight and they don't get it heavily into story, then I'd be disappointed. But I'm looking at it as part of the overall story, not just an individual issue. And I, we, we were going to have a full issue of fight at some point. I, 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 I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't think it was great. I thought it was just okay. Um, the art change in the middle of the issue was a little jarring, I thought, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two different artists. Dan Jurgens does the first half, and Ig Guara does the last half. And I, I felt the art styles were a little too dissimilar um, to be in the same book. But, yeah. I mean, it's there's no, like there's no, I, I don't know why we included it in our list, because there's really not much story to talk about here. Um you know, it, it's it's a Superman. Or I mean, a Booster Gold Doomsday fight. It appears that you know Booster is going to hook up with the Flash in the next issue, and um, you know, we'll like get a little bit more of the Flash sexually. Fight. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Um, but not for very long because he's the Flash. He's fast. <laughs> Flash fact. <laughs> Flash fact. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I was hoping to see in this book because you know the the concept of Doomsday is that he evolves to meet the challenge. Right. And so during the fight with Superman way back when you saw how Doomsday evolved to meet that. And and certainly that has occurred over subsequent storylines after that in the history of the character. So, you know, in this universe, Doomsday has never had to fight Superman. And they make a point of saying that in the book that, you know, uh, Booster's like he hasn't come to his full power yet. So Booster's fighting him and 
you know, you would expect to see Doomsday evolve to meet Booster's threat. And I was hoping that that would mean a different appearance to the character, that there would be, you know, some changes. But, you know, he's he's evolving into the same creature. And, you know, Booster is in no way, shape or form the same kind of threat or same level of threat as Superman is. So I was really hoping for, for some differences in the Doomsday character on this. See, I didn't want a different appearance because I'm tired of the, the horrible art we've seen on Doomsday <laughs> in almost every story since uh, since the death of Superman. So I was just happy to see Dan Jurgens drawing Doomsday again because this is how he should look. Best Doomsday since the death of Superman, appearance-wise. Yo, oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, I thought Doomsday looked really good in this book, but I was just kind of hoping for a different, for some different variances in the evolution of him. Saw too much of that in the recent Superman books. But not enough of it in Booster Gold, see? <laughs> but that wasn't the only Flashpoint tie-in that came out this week. It was not. Em- nope. Emperor Aquaman number two came out this week. So it did. And Aaron, you, you, you seem like you have uh, some harsh words for this book. You know, not harsh words. I just – I think the artwork is very pretty in the book. I just did not enjoy this book as much as I did the first one. And maybe it's because of the origin story. I really didn't want to see a whole bunch of origin story. I really wanted to move forward with the conflict with the Amazons. And I'm not sure that the – and while the origin story certainly tells us why Aquaman is so harsh – I kind of think that could have been done in two or three panels versus the several pages that were committed to it. I didn't feel like we needed to spend that much time on that when it, you know, the, the deviation from the Aquaman origin is, you know, uh, really only about three panels worth of story. Well, and I got to be honest, I, I think I agree with you on the origin story. I yeah. felt it was unnecessary. So, OK, so Aquaman's different. I don't necessarily need to know why. Yeah, you and know, that, that's kind of my thing, too. I don't need a reason for it. I, yeah, mean, I think they, they did that as fanfare, but I, I didn't care. You know, I mean, like, okay, he's a bad guy now. I like that. I don't necessarily need to know the origin at this point. You know, in, in three issues, just just focus on the story, you know? See, I'm on the I'm on the other side of that than you guys are. Okay, I, I did. Can we characterize that as the wrong side? That's fair. Okay. I mean, there's two of you, one of me, <laughs> so therefore I'm probably the wrong side. That's right. Democracy but, you in know, action. Majority rule, right. Yeah. Uh, because I, I I was interested in in seeing the differences between the mainline uh, Aquaman and the one in this one, and and how Arthur Curry's life was different, and it, it maybe went a little long. I could they could have cut out some pages of it, but but I liked it. And you know you do end the episode with uh with Wonder Woman facing that facing down Aquaman right there about you know five to ten feet away. So I'm guessing issue three will be moving into the future. Yeah, the character difference is obvious. He's not quite so lame. <laughs> yeah, but why is he not so lame, Wayne? That was the question. When he's got that nifty scar. Because I need to know why he's not lame in this so that uh, you know they can hopefully write a good Aquaman in the new universe they're starting uh, in September. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. <laughs> like Aquaman. <laughs> oh, you're a sly one. <laughs> no, I That's enjoyed awful. it. I liked it. You know, I, Emperor Aquaman, the Wonder Woman, that whole concept of the Flashpoint universe, I, I'm loving it. Uh, it's a little sad to me that they're not going to carry some of that over into the yeah. DC new universe because I really would have been okay with Aquaman being a villain. Oh, you know, same here. Tyrant. 
Same. And you don't need you don't need Western Europe. I mean, it's okay underwater. Oh yeah, Western Europe lifts right out. That's right. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So, but since we've got a size no, sizable listenership in China, we need to hold on to that. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if well, you are listening to us in China, please tell us why. Because <laughs> <laughs> that boggles my mind. It does me too. But I, we're oh. glad you're there. We just want to understand it because if you could tell us what you like about the show, we'll make it more because that's a that's a growing demographic for us. It's a growth market, right? That's right. That's yeah, right. it's probably Jonathan Landry. They're listening to catalog episodes and they're like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> he's big in China. <laughs> so, Future Foundation number six came out this week. Ah, mm. and uh, I. Uh, I have been on about Future Foundation for uh, five issues. Five issues. I have been touting how much I have enjoyed the writing and the art on this book. That ends today. This was ass. Um, yeah. Does anyone have anything good to say about it so we could get that out of the way and tell you why you're wrong? Because I don't no. have anything good to say about it either. I, no. The art was so bad in this book, I'm not even sure what the quality of the writing was. I found the art distracting in this book. And it's it's so – I mean I, I, you so get suckered into it because the cover is beautiful. You've got that big, beautiful cover of Black Bolt there. Um, it is just it, – you know, it's, a, it's a Mark Bagley, Andy Lanning, and Paul Mounts cover. It is just stunningly gorgeous. And the interiors by Greg Tocchini, a, uh, an artist with whom I am unfamiliar, is terrible. He, uh... You know – my biggest complaint overall with Hickman's writing, because he's a great writer, but he has some pacing issues. It takes a long time to get somewhere. We've been building up for this storyline for a long time. And finally, everything came to a head last issue. And then Black Bolt was returning and it was things are about to actually happen so what do we have this issue instead of the the payoff that we've really been even back into Fantastic Four? This has been going on for you know a year, two years, two year run or so leading up to this big climax, and we get a non sequitur flashback that has nothing to do, well that doesn't move the story along in any way. That is my big annoyance at this. I don't like the cosmic storylines like you guys do. I didn't read War of Kings. I didn't care why Black Bolt was dead. You know, a few pages to explain why he's back would have been good. I don't need a whole flashback issue that stops the forward progression of the story. I was angry when I read this book because I was looking forward to seeing how is this finally going to push forward. Two years build up for a flashback is it's well, annoying. We should probably clarify. I really think the next issue is continuing the flashback. Looking at yes. the cover, oh. I, I really imagine next issue is continuing the story of how Black Bolt got there. Yeah, and again, in this issue, and again, a, another beautiful cover for next issue. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole flashback without actually telling how he returns yet. I think it's going to be at least three issues telling of his return, at very least. So multi-year build-up for this big story that's now sitting over on a table waiting while we do a flashback on how Black Bolt returned. Yeah, that sucks. I, I did not realize this was going to go into another issue of flashback. I I deplored the, just as you guys have said, 
that this was just all flashback to the days of the Kree and how they created the Inhumans and blah, blah, blah. And I, I wish it would stop and go back to the main storyline. I do too. I, But I enjoy those uh, cosmic stories. I probably would have been all over this if you had – you know, our standing art team on it or somebody like Mark Bagley on it. But the, the Tocini artwork, uh, which may be great for another type of story was not good for this story. And again, I found the artwork so distracting. I wasn't even really engaged in the story. And I think you're right because, you know, the only other thing I think I've read with Greg Tocini doing art was the last days of American crime a couple of years ago. Uh huh. And his art style works really well in that, but that's more of a noir yeah, huh? dystopian book. It's not a superhero book. Right. Yeah. And he did uh that Batman and Robin book that Tim was hating on. Uh-huh. Because of the art. Yeah, that was Greg Tacchini also. Yeah. yeah. I I, just, I I think that he can't do the, you know, great big superhero stories, particularly not a great big superhero cosmic story. Um he needs to be working on something that's a little bit moodier. And I I it was so spectacular spectacularly unsuited for this book and it, it this is one of those things that i wonder what the editorial decision was was it he was the only guy around with capacity to get this book out or did somebody actually think that he would suit this story well i'm gonna go with a yeah i think so too i think it was a i'm not so sure i mean i th- i think because of when the art switched here i think they wanted a different artist for the flashback story and then we may get our regular art team back after that yeah. And if they're picking a different art team for this story because they want to jar you out into it being a flashback, someone might have really thought this is the guy that can do this. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is and, uh, jarring. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it definitely goes through the next issue. Next issue written by Jonathan Hickman, pencils by Greg Tacchini. Ugh. But issue eight is back to uh, Steve Epting. Yeah. See, and I, I think I see it more as let's give Steve Epting a break to get caught up on some other on some other artwork. You know, because Steve Epting's uh, work is so good, and so they, I think, I think it's it's let's have a change up here because it's a it's a flashback story, so it'd be appropriate to have that break in style. Yeah, but I think but the issue is who is available. I'm I, glad I to hear that he's going to be there for eight because I think that means that they'll go back to the actual story. Oh, I'm sure. Flashback in eight. Yeah, but I gotta say, Steve Epting. I think he only did the first three issues, right? Wasn't I oh know maybe it was just the last issue it was Barry Kitson. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I just I really, really strongly dislike the art in this book. So it, it's it was it was definitely a disappointing book after five issues, and you know I was someone who wasn't reading Hickman's Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah, but loved FF Future Foundation. Yeah. Um. So this was definitely a the, you know the first disappointing issue in the series. I hope you know you know it. it, it I get. I love Jonathan Hickman. He has big ideas, and he wants to explain them. So I, I can respect that. Absolutely. Uh, I think they might be giving a bit too much space to this particular sequence, but I I, I, I hope it's worth the payoff. Yeah. And you know, I think the art is definitely taking away from my enjoyment of it. Absolutely. But you know what the art is not taking away my enjoyment from? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, Paul. Maybe try that one again. Yeah. Okay. All right. One more time. But you know what? <laughs> Can, you do it? Can you? Yeah. You know. You know what? Uh, you know what? Art kicks ass. Damn it. <laughs> Kara's Magic number two came out this week from Aspen Comics, um, written by Vince, Vince Hernandez, art 
and illustration or character designs and illustrations by Carrie Randolph. And uh, Andrew and I are reading this book. Andrew, what do you think? It continues to be just a beautiful, beautiful book. Every page is just like a little treat for your eyes. Yeah, this book was awesome. And just to to remind everybody what it's about, this uh, Hero's Magic is about a magician in Las Vegas, and one day he's performing his his uh, magic show. His disappearing act. His disappearing act, and uh, you know everyone else disappears, but he's the only one left behind. Like all of Las Vegas disappears. Like uh, every human being in Las Vegas disappears, and it's right. just him and his talking cat. His which he did not know, which he did not know could talk until right then. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it seems like some magic beings are invading our world and have swapped out with the humans of our world. And, uh, you know, there, there's plenty of foot going on in Kara's magic and it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book uh, art wise. Yeah. And I was really stoked on the first issue when he, you know, he does this trick, he disappears when he comes back, the auditorium's empty, the casino's empty, the streets of Las Vegas are empty. Just everything is just gone. And this book kind of looks a little bit more. And sure enough, all human beings everywhere have been transported into the void, which uh, apparently not such a good place to be, especially if you're dressed up like a Las Vegas showgirl. Yeah, well, a hot Las Vegas showgirl. Well, is there any other kind? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe in old Vegas. (laughs) It may be off the strip. (laughs) Yeah, maybe off the strip. You know, if you go to like, I don't know, one of those old golden nuggets or something like that. Then then you get the not-so-hot showgirls. So, you know, a couple couple of the other high points of the book. You see the big bad slaughter a room full of uh, magic beans. And uh, the magician, the the, kind of the the protagonist, hooks up with the uh, druid, who is the one who I'm I'm going to assume in the next book is going to lay out all the exposition we need to figure out what's going on. Yeah, that's the impression I get, too. But I'm enjoying the hell out of this book. I'm sorry, I'm going to say (laughs) it again. Boy, is she drawn well. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a fun book um now i gotta be honest i i think it's been a while since issue one came out isn't it i mean it's been a really long time yeah I, so i i get i'm guessing it's not a monthly book which is well, a shame because you know I, I, these bi-monthly books kind of you know they kill me because i don't remember exactly what happened in the previous issue i mean in this one i in from issue one to two i i remembered because there wasn't much really there but you know, when if if issue three takes as long to come out as issue two did, uh, I'm going to have some issues with it. Yeah, it's probably something that that'll be better as a trade. We could just sit down and buy it all, but but I like it enough. I'm going to keep picking up floppies, uh, regardless of how long they take. And uh, you know, Aspen Aspen kind of they're not the best at being regular producers, as I recall. Very well, true. They tend to be you a little know. bit a little bit late, a little bit slow. Yeah, I mean they're very, you know, they 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 do focus on beautiful art. You know, they have books like Lady Mechanica, you know, by Joe Benitez, and there was a couple of months in between issues there, um, and Fathom, of course, and all those. So I mean, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I I hope the the third issue isn't as delayed as the second, but it, it, it's a it's a fun book. And if you're into you know magic or you know, it's the type of storytelling that you'd probably expect from like a Zaytana book or something like that. Um, you know, high fantasy, you know, it's got some cool magic and some gorgeous art. I mean, can you really turn down a book like that? I can't. I, I can't. Aaron. Aaron can, because Aaron's an asshole. I, 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 I can, and I will. Aaron doesn't like good things. That's true. Well, he likes Shinku. That's true. Shinku. Shinku. Oh, yeah. Shinku. 
<laughs> so, if Shinku number three is going to be due out next month, featuring a CD of Aaron just saying, Shinku, Shinku, <laughs> different ways for eighty minutes. That would triple the sales overnight. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's selling pretty well to begin with. I think issue one sold out, um, and issue two, which came out, depending on where you live, it came out last week or this week, or if you're in the UK, you still don't have it yet. So, you know, tough shit. What about if you uh, live in the Ultimate Universe? When do you get it then? Never, because Spider-Man is dead there. Um, he, <laughs> when did El, when did El Camino Comics get it? I got it this week. Yeah, exactly. So, what did you guys think of Shinku number two? Aaron, you know, uh, I like it rather a lot. I I, I am fascinated by the artwork. Um, I I love how uh, uh, nimble. Shinku is, you know, and, and I love the action scenes. You know, there's, there's, you know, the scene where she's, you know, uh, going over on the high fly wire to the other building, and where she drops down onto the roof is just an exquisitely drawn panel. Um, I like how the artist is representing the uh, vampires dying and they're, you know, disappearing in puffs of smoke as they vaporize. The sequence where she is dropping down the elevator shaft. It's just, you know, it's eight panels on one page, and I, I just, it's just got so much action and intensity, I just really dig it. And in fact, it was the first time as I was reading this going, oh yeah, this should totally be a movie. I mean, I, I really am, am enjoying how well-paced the action is. You know, there's a scene where she's uh, emerged from the elevator having killed all these guys, and it's four panels of elevators closed, elevators open, the carnage in there, the door, you know, I mean, it's just... It's great. I just I absolutely love it. Um, I like the story that Ron Mars is setting up and the you know adversarial relationship between uh, Shinku and the bad guy. I just I'm I'm digging this book. I dig it a lot. I uh, I am too. I, I'm really enjoying it. It it is a very cinematic book. So yeah. I don't know if it's a you know I, I remember talking to Ron Mars and I don't specifically remember if this is an ongoing or a miniseries. Ongoing. Is it? A, it is an ongoing. Okay, so I mean, but it does lend itself very much to you know you're watching it and you're imagining a movie in your head. I yeah, mean, it's a much. very quickly paced book. It, it almost reads. Well, I mean, of course, not real time, but you know, real time like you would see it in a movie. You know, I mean, you just have this action sequence, action sequence, action sequence. Um, there was a he, he. There was a lot of exposition in the first book, in the first mm-hmm. issue, uh, explaining the history of Shinku and the samurai and all that. Um, and I think Ron Mars kind of did that to get that out of the way, to to get into the action. You know, yeah. now we're not wondering who Shinku is, what her mission is, where she came from. We all know. We already know. Now yeah. we can just focus on the story and the and the action, which is, you know, it, like you said, well drawn by uh, Lee Lee Motor, I think. Yeah, yeah Lee yeah. Motor. Yep. And I just I love how unabashedly bloody the book is. I mean, and it, it doesn't. Too, sh- you know? Yeah, and it it just doesn't shy away from it at all. Uh, I mean, she is just dripping in blood. As she's and, does going, she, and does she take time to wipe it off? No. 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 I, she, she's wiped that off on her, her face. eyes. <laughs> she's wiped off her eyes. That's about it. Well, and there's something there. They're, they hint at something there because she tells the other dude, hey, be careful. You know, there's not, I don't know if there's enough blood for you to get infected on that thing, so don't cut yourself. Yeah. But she's covered in vampire blood yeah. without any sure. worry about getting infected. And I have a feeling that wasn't unintentional oh no i agree i agree i yeah. think she, i think she's got a little something you know 
a little, a little oh. relation there. Oh, she's got a little something, something. Yeah. <laughs> I just think was, this, I think the book is beautifully drawn. One of the things I really like about uh, this book, you know, I'm very much into the whole backstory of the feudal Japan feuding clans, but I also really like how they've d- modeled Shinku. Because this might shock you, but it seems like in comic books, female leads tend to be drawn in a certain way. Let's say, let's call them top heavy. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you know, she actually has a really realistic, practical look to her. Uh, it, you don't look at her and be like, ah, oh, that's that's horrible. Yeah. She actually looks normal, like a real person, like you, yeah. someone you'd see on a freaking movie screen. Yeah, she doesn't look like she's going to tip over. No, you know, no, she's she's not d- designed to be eye candy. She's yeah, well, designed to be a functional character. Well, and she she does look fit. You know, she looks like somebody who could kick your ass. She looks like a gymnast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and that is exactly how she is drawn in her leaping around scenes. I mean, she looks like somebody who could do the things she's doing. I. I, I, I think the, the artwork and the writing are just working so well together in this book. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Shinku number three. Shinku! <laughs> and, uh, Shinku. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike Kara's Magic, I think, you know, I think this is going to be monthly, or at least something like it. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, the first two issues came out in rather short succession. Yeah, uh, Ron Mars said in our interview that, uh, you know, because apparently I listen to these things, Paul, not so much. Um, <laughs> uh, he had said that, you know, they would they would carry through a full storyline, stop, take a break for a little bit, and then pick up with the next storyline. You know, well, as long as the books were selling. But, yeah, that they planned on delivering these monthly. Well, and it sounds like the book is selling. So, you know, congrats to those guys and Absolutely. kudos because a uh, damn good book. Definitely yeah. worth checking out. Yeah. But you know what? else is worth checking out what you should drop everything and listen to right now what would that be paul knights of rainsboro knights of rainsboro issue three was released this past friday evening um so if you listen to this monday two days ago on ideologyofmadness.com or if you're listening through itunes it's probably on the feed yep. knights of rainsboro issue three with appropriately issue titled three that's right and issue four comes out july 29th I have I am dying to listen to this episode because this is the one you wouldn't let me listen to. That's right. That's right. You don't show up. You don't get to listen. That's Uh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Only if your name's Paul, apparently. That's true. That's true. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) You know, and considering what it went up, you probably still haven't listened to it yet. Have you, Paul? I've listened to the first 15 minutes. That's all I've had a chance to listen to before we recorded. Today. He hasn't gotten to the part that he'll find so amusing. Nope, not yet. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but I look forward to listening to it, as should all of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, is it this week? It's this week. This week is San Diego Comic-Con, Paul. Yes, it is. So I anticipate we're going to have a ton of shit to talk about in next week's episode. That's right. Now, will you be uh, giving us the, your uh, your daily summaries for San Diego Comic-Con this week on IdeologyOfMadness.com? I just might, actually. You know I, you know what? Just check it out just to find out. You know, Just go to IdeologyOfMadness.com and just see. You know, I might be. I might it, not it, be, but I should if there's nothing there, just wait. Just, just <laughs> refresh every five to ten minutes. Just wait. That's right. You just know what? Not... Don't refresh. Go to another computer and check it out there. And then go to the <laughs> and check it out there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is that is probably the best way to go. And you know, click through on an article, you know, because it might be hidden somewhere on the site. <laughs> you know, it's an Easter egg. Go find the secret San Diego Comic Con. 
<laughs> you know, on just have another window open where you could listen to Knights of Rainsboro from. That's right. You know, well, and you li- probably should re-download all your Knights of Rainsboro episodes because there'll probably be some secret San Diego Comic Con coverage in there as well. <laughs> yeah, <Just> download <laughs> every episode at least five or six times. <laughs> Oh, awesome. uh, but you can only listen to this episode once. That's okay. There's there there is no secret San Diego Comic Con, or is there? Huh. Start from the maybe, beginning and find out. Maybe you should listen through to the end of the credits. That's all I'm saying. There could be a surprise on the other side. Could be. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, cue credits. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.